1: Well, you are here for week one of a four-week message series that I've titled Living the Good Life in 2020. Now, when I say living the good life, you may be thinking about sitting on a beach, hearing the, the waves roll in, feeling the sand beneath your toes. If you're like me, you may be thinking that that sand's never, ever going to get out of your car. It'll be there two decades from now. Maybe uh, you don't think about the beach, you're more of a mountain person and, and you can just think about as you wake up and the sun comes over the mountain and the smell of the, the beauty of the forest or maybe when you think about living the good life, it would be without a job Well, and also without the worry of the finances that you need with that job. Uh, Because sometimes that happens and it's not a good life uh, when when we're without a job. Or maybe you're just thinking about when, when I say living the good life, you're thinking no stress. Life is good. The kids are great. The spouse is awesome. It's a wonderful life. But you all know that that's just not the truth, is it? You know, we can um, have vacations where we go and spend time at the beach and it's good. We can have vacations where we go in the mountains and we enjoy ourselves. We can um, have those times where we have vacation, but at some point in time our life moves on and we have to get back to living, living our lives. And so what I want to do today is, as part of this four-week message series, is introduce you to a concept of four spiritual disciplines. Um, Maybe a better way to say this is four Christian core competencies. And if you have these four core competencies in your life, your spiritual walk, your Christ-following acts will be profound. If you are lacking any of these four, you will find life, you will find your Christian walk a struggle. And so um, let me tell you why I'm doing this. In the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 4, there's a couple verses that I want to read to you. and And it says this in verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, that's you all, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now Paul's given these words to Timothy, and he's saying, if you want to be a good servant, if you want to be a good pastor, if you want to be a good Christ follower, point these things out to the brothers and sisters. And when you do this, they will be nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Now, it's interesting that this week I saw this headline. And the headline says, this host, Chuck Todd, trashes Christians. He says this, they're trained to believe fairy tales like Noah's Ark. Now, um, Paul addressed this. And when Paul addressed the thing, and he said, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths, What he was really talking about was sometimes in the church, it's not Noah's Ark, and it's not Adam and Eve in the creation, and it's not the crucifixion of Jesus. The the silly myths that get into the church are things, and the way that Jesus said this is that you start to teach for doctrine the traditions of men. Now, the reality is that the world outside, when they look at you, when they look at us, they think of people who are following fairy tales but the truth of the matter is that the truth lies on our side and one day the bible tells us that all will recognize that and in verse 7 he says but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths rather train yourself in godliness and so when you see the words living the good life i'm talking about living in godliness In verse 8, it says, for the training of the body has limited benefit. Now, I know I'll get some amens out there. All right? Being on the treadmill, being uh, running around the block, uh, going and lifting weights, that has limited benefit. It has benefit. It's good. I I think we should do it. But sometimes we put more importance as Christians on that physical training and not on the godliness, which is beneficial in every way. Since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so, while there is the naysayers out there that tell us that what we are listening and what we are reading are fairy tales, one day the life to come they will be introduced to. And when they leave this earth and they go into eternity, they'll find out that they were wrong. And one day we will find out that we were right. And so the four different spiritual disciplines, the four different core competencies, the first one that I'll teach you about today is confess it. Oh, this is not the way to start 2020. What comes to mind when I say the words confess? Many of you probably think of an interrogation. You could actually see a chair right here and these lights pointing into my eyes, and and I'm supposed to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or you think about having to go before people and admit to something that you did that was horrible. Or, or that you think they're going to think was horrible. But when I think about confessing it, I think about Mainz, Germany. I lived there as a child. My dad was stationed in, um, in Germany in the army. And as an 11-year-old, I came to find out what confession really meant. Because here's what happened. I had a bike and I used to store the bike down in our storage bin that we had as a family that came with the, the house that we were staying in. And one day I took that to the swim bod. That's what they called the swimming pools over there. And, and at the swim bod, I didn't take my, well actually I had a lock to lock the bike up, but I was lazy. And there was a thousand bikes. And i thought, what's the likelihood that mine gets ripped off? And I was in a hurry to catch up with my friends, and so I put my bike on there. I didn't lock it up. Four hours later, well tanned, I came out of the swim bod. And I couldn't find my bike. I looked like some of you at the mall sometimes, and I started going up and down each row. And I thought for sure it was here, but, you know, maybe I made a mistake, and so I started looking. And the more I looked, the more my heart fell. And instead of, when I got to the house, telling my parents what happened, I hid it from them. Matter of fact, one day my dad asked, hey, where's your bike at? And and I told him I was storing it somewhere else. Now, I somehow wrapped my mind around that I wasn't lying because it was being stored somewhere else. I just didn't know where that was at. And so for 18 months... I lived every time my dad would go down to that storage unit. And each time he would probably ask me about my bike. And all I could think of was another lie. And then finally the day came where they started packing all of our stuff up. And they got everything out of the storage shed. And my dad, he put his arm around my shoulder and he goes, Ronnie, go get your bike. And it was at that point I had to confess. I told him I didn't have it. He goes, oh, really? How long has this been? And I told him, 18 months. And so he asked me about each one of those times when he'd asked about the bike. And I had to admit, I had to confess, I had to declare that I lied to you, Dad. Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 10 this. It says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of, of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. You know, when we talk about confessing, you know, confessing means nothing more than to declare. To put it out there. And when it comes to us in our walk with the Lord, and if you don't have a walk with the Lord, at some point we will either, on this side of eternity, Make a sinner's confession and recognize that we are sinners and we accept the blood of Jesus Christ and what that did or we won't. But the Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when I teach you about confess it today, I want to share with you two principles of confession And the number, the one, the first one was um, initial sanctification. That's a fancy word. But it's initial sanctification that takes us to Hebrews 10.10. It's initial sanctification that establishes that relationship with Jesus Christ. And the second point that I want to talk to you about sanctification is what I call process sanctification. And in process sanctification, the way that I want to explain this is, I want to tell you about the tale of two lifestyles. You'll find these in Galatians 5 and 2 Peter. And I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and turn there. But let me read Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And and think about it this way. These two lifestyles are on two ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, it talks about a person who practiced a lifestyle of adultery, fornication. Uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. It says these people will not inherit... The kingdom of God. Now, I don't think I have to tell you what adultery means. I think we all understand that that is sex outside of the sanctity of marriage. The word fornication, that's uh, if you're not married and you're engaged in sex, that's what fornication is. And the word uncleanness in this Bible, in this verse here, refers to evil. Evil we see unclean and we think dirty hands no it's not talking about that it's talking about evil and you know as you look around culture you definitely see evil matter of fact we're hearing some things about uh, how children have been exploited by leaders in our country and ladies and gentlemen that's pure evil the amount of sex trafficking that is happening today in this world and in our country is pure evil the next word is licentiousness really what that means is a These are people who feel like they have a license to sin. Matter of fact, not only do they sin, but it's legal for them. I I I can't tell you how many men have tried to convince me that pornography is okay, and usually everyone falls back on the one answer: is everyone's doing it, and they give themselves a license to sin. Then you see two words there, idolatry and sorcery. And if you go through the Bible, the Bible never separates these two. Idolatry and sorcery are the exact same thing. And then hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions. Dissensions is the disagreement that leads to discord. What does God want here in our church? He wants unity. He wants us all to be of the same mind, going in the same direction, trying to accomplish the same purpose. You know, I've put before you many goals that we have as a church, very aggressive goals for a church our size. And the devil wants nothing more than for us to fight over how we're going to do those. And God wants nothing more than for us to join together and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see 50 people saved. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see 100 new people assimilated into the walk with the Lord to make disciples. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see 49 more people get baptized in 2020 then you see the word heresies heresy is when we deny an essential doctrine and an essential doctrine is this something that has to do with our salvation and we deny that essential doctrine and you publicly avow that and then you obstinately maintain it that's what the word heresy means and then the list is finished up with envy murder drunkenness and revelries If I were to take these and put them into three different categories, it'd be simply this, sex, selfishness, and stupidity. You could probably look at those and figure out which ones are which. But the bottom line is no matter which category, no matter which name is assigned to that sin, that the Bible tells us that those who live in that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. And unless they have an experience where they have that sinner's confession... When they enter into eternity, they'll find out who the creator of the world is. They'll find out who God really is. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum and let me read out of Second Peter, and it's actually chapter one and verse ten. And it says, Wherefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, what qualities is it referring to that we need to practice? Well, you've got to go back to verse 3 in 2 Peter 1. So let me just read 3 through 10. It says, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness, the good life. The good life has been promised To us all, those who are a Christ follower who claim the name of Jesus, the good life has been promised to us. Now, I'm convinced that many of you have probably lived years, if not decades, wondering where that good life is. But I would argue that you probably have never lived out these four core competencies in your life as a Christian. And when this message series is complete and you see how these four tie together, you'll understand why you have not experienced that promise. 1 verse 4 says, "...by which he has granted to us precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature." And really, that's what you're struggling with is. You're struggling with your selfish nature and the divine nature that's talked about in 2 Peter here. "...for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue." And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. Why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins now if you look at that list you'll see the word faith it all starts with faith ladies and gentlemen and the Bible tells us in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen let me just say it this way you can't take faith into a court of law they won't accept it but the court that you will stand before one day faith is what's essential faith is the only thing that's going to allow you to be exonerated And so what do we do with that faith? Well, we add virtue to it. What's virtue? It's doing the right thing. We add knowledge to this. So when the the world, when everyone ridicules you and they look down on you and they say that you're following fairy tales, you add knowledge because what Jesus told us to do was to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sometimes in the church we get that backwards. We're wise as doves and evil. Like serpents. We bite, We lash out. But that's not what we're called to. That's not the lifestyle that God wants us to live out. He wants us to live out a life of self-control. Steadfastness. Man, this is the time to talk about steadfastness. Because many of you have made some New Year's resolutions. And I don't know if you realize this, but January 17th is, the, is national Quit your resolution day. Why? Because 75% of the people who make resolutions quit by January 17th. But the Bible tells us to be steadfast, not to make a resolution and give it up 17 days later, but to make a commitment and to live it out, not just this week, this month, this year, but this decade. And the truth of the matter is, probably many of us have struggled with the ability to make our commitment to Christ and follow through with it. And I'm here to tell you, one of the reasons why we struggle with this is we have not embraced the concept of confessing. See, what we're told here is that if you have faith and virtue and knowledge, if you have self-control, steadfastness, if you have godliness and brotherly affection, if you have love, It will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Now, I just want you to take an inventory. Please do not raise your hands. Was 2019 an effective or ineffective year for you spiritually? Was 2019 a fruitful or unfruitful year for you? And the bigger question is, what's 2020 going to hold? Is it going to be more of the same? Are you going to make this commitment and then January 17th fall off the wagon, quit coming to church for a little while, start doing your own thing, going back to that old lifestyle? If that's the case, the Bible says that when we lack these, we are nearsighted. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but um, I'm nearsighted. Like those of you halfway back, uh, hi. (laughs) There you are. Um, it took me a while to concede that father time was catching up to me. And a uh, matter of fact, I remember we were on vacation and down in Chattanooga and it was the, it had gotten dark and, um, everybody decided we wanted to go to Walmart and to go to Walmart, you had to go down the mountain and I like to drive. And so I drove and we're going down that mountain and, um, I didn't have glasses at that time. And so, Uh, I could not read a sign. I didn't know if it said slow down. I didn't know if it said speed up. I didn't know if it said shark torn. Okay, all I know is every time I came up to a turn, everyone in the truck grabbed onto stuff. (laughs) The person behind me was grabbing onto the headrest. Everybody else, I mean, they were taking an appendage and sticking it against something to keep them in place. And then after we left Walmart... And we started to go back up, about to go back up the mountain. My son, Colin here, volunteered, I'll drive. (laughs) I felt sorry for everybody and I let him drive. Now, I didn't see any more going up the hill than I saw going down the hill. But they enjoyed the trip a lot more. And so it was then that I realized that I probably can't see the way that I should. And so I went to the eye doctor. And the eye doctor said, why have you waited so long? And, and they uh, did some things. They asked me to call out some letters and I did my best. And then they said, come back in a couple of weeks and we'll have your glasses. I came back in a couple of weeks and I put my glasses on and I started driving. And, and I remember this, I was leaving our house. And as I was leaving our house and we're driving out of the neighborhood, there was this house that sits up on the hill. And I've seen that house a thousand times. But today I saw the house. I said, Carrie, did you see the pool in their backyard? I said, I can read the towels that are hanging over the fence. I didn't know they had a pool, let alone towels with butterflies on it. But my wife knew about that pool all along. You see, I was just like he talked about here. I was nearsighted. Another word he used was blind. I was blind, and it wasn't until I relented, it wasn't until I confessed that I was not seeing everything, that a difference happened, and what the Bible says here is, it uses the word therefore, and what it means is, anytime you see that, you always look, why is it there? What's it there for? And here's why, these two reasons, to confirm your calling and to confirm your election. Folks, um, as your pastor, I get to hear many of you that question your salvation. And I can tell you that every time I've talked to people about this, and if I go through this list, it's either there or it's not. If I go through these two different lifestyles, because the reality is that if you go back to that other lifestyle, many who claim the name of Jesus live right there. They come to church on Sunday, they sing the songs, they listen to the message. And then they go back out and they live a lifestyle of adultery. They go back out and they live a lifestyle of stupidity. They go back out, they live a lifestyle of selfishness. So I asked you the question, why should you confess it? Well, it's very simple. In Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed. Now, here's what's interesting. I would encourage you to go and read Leviticus 5 and read verses 1 through 4. And what he's doing is he's going through different... Matter of fact, the book of Leviticus goes through different types of sins that have been identified. And so after he puts this list out there, he says sometimes people do them and don't realize they're doing them. or they don't realize it's wrong. It says, but once you realize it's wrong, you realize your guilt, now you have to confess it. This brings up the conversation of the age of accountability. When does that start? Before everyone is different. I would tell you that sometimes you have children, little kids, two years old and three years old, And you think that they know the difference between right and wrong. And I just encourage you that they probably don't know the difference between right and wrong. They know the difference between moms and dads angry and they're not. All right, so I'm not going to talk about your kids or your grandkids. Let me me talk about an animal. Some of you dog trainers have decided that if the dog goes to the bathroom on the carpet, the way to train them not to is to take them by the scruff of the neck and rub their nose in it. And the problem with that is that it happened two hours earlier. And so here's what happens. You pull into the driveway and your dog's right there bouncing up and down, tails wagging. You know, it's like, all right, Ronnie's home. Oh, he's going to scratch me behind the ears. And then I get inside the house and and I see the puddle. And I say, what did you do? And I grab him real quick before he can run away and then I rub his nose in it. What did I teach that dog? No, I taught him something. I taught him when I say, what did you do? Run. Because he doesn't remember that he's the one who put that there. Now, you may convince yourselves that he does. All right. Take it from me. I've trained dogs for about 18 years. Okay. I got a little bit of knowledge on this one. He doesn't. He's forgotten all about that. Matter of fact, he's wondering who did that. Well, the same thing is true in our lives. But you see, God doesn't do that. You know, you, you committed a sin two hours ago. You committed a sin two weeks ago, two years ago. And then one day, God comes in and you're happy to see him. And then he reminds you through the Holy Spirit of what you did. And your tail quits wagging. And you tell yourself, I'm not going to church anymore. Because you think that God's going to grab you by the neck and go rub your nose in it. But see, that's, that's not what Leviticus 5.5 5 told them. What it told them was that if you go to Hebrews 9.14, and this fast forwards thousands of years, it says this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Why? To purify our conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. Let me just break that down for you. To purify purify our conscience. That is why God needs us to confess our sins. He knows you did it. He's always known you did it. Matter of fact, he knows you're going to do it. And yet he still sent his son to die on the cross to pay for that. But here's the problem. We don't allow the work of the cross to purify our conscience. Instead... We bring it, we dump it at the altar, and then when we're done, we pick it back up and we take it out with us. Some of us right then, some of us, we wait until the last amen said and we sneak back up here and we get it and we take it home. And then we find ourselves living a perpetual life of dead works. And what am I talking about when I say dead works? Dead works are when we are doing things to please God, to get his favor. If you read the Bible, anywhere you go, it says that we find favor by faith. When we trust and believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that's how you find favor. Not by coming to church. Not by reading your Bible. Not by praying. That doesn't give you favor. I've told you this once. I'll tell it to you a thousand times before I leave. That there is nothing you can do more to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's absolutely nothing you're doing right now that will make God love you any less than he already does and so Hebrews 9 14 tells us this and what we need to realize is that there is a uh, each of us have a soul and a spirit and, and a lot of times we get these two things confused the soul is who you are this is what will live for eternity either in heaven or hell the spirit is what you think about it's the emotions that you feel and the problem is there's enmity between your soul and your spirit When you, um, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ and you experience that salvation, you now have enmity between that spirit and the divine nature that God is trying to establish and restore in you. Hebrews 10.22 says it this way. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of what? Faith. See, that's all it takes is faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Why do we confess our sins? We confess our sins so that we can have a clear conscience. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it does not matter what you do, you will never, ever get God to love you more. Let me give you a couple of examples that we find in the Bible about confession, what it looks like. The first one we find, and Jesus told the story about the prodigal son. If you were to go and look into that, you would see that he says this, the the son, when he goes to the father. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm confident many of you have come to church many times thinking those same things. God, I've done it again. I've sinned, and I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy to be called a Christian. I'm not worthy to carry the name of Christ. Or maybe it's the tax collector. And the tax collector said these simple words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or maybe it's someone that we're most all familiar with, and that's David. The man after God's own heart. The man who saw a woman... Bathing, who called him to his house, who used his position, who had sex with her. She became pregnant. To hide it, he had her husband killed. And he just went on as the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, and living his life. And then one day a prophet came and and said, King, I've I've got a story to tell you. He says, there is a man in this, in your nation, and he has thousands of lambs, and his neighbor had just one lamb, and he stole that lamb, and he killed that lamb, and he offered it up for dinner for somebody who was coming by. He goes, what should we do? And David got righteously indignant, and he said, what should happen? And the prophet Nathan looked at David, and he pointed his finger, and he says, you David are the man. And the words that David penned later was this, against thee and thee only have I sinned. See, David knew where his sin came from and where his sin was directed. And it was because he was a man after God's own heart when it was called out, he was able to confess it. So why do we confess it? Look, it's a matter of just doing it. Why? Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Listen to me, folks. God already knows what you're doing. God has already done everything it takes to forgive you. You just have to do the confessing part. It says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what grace looks like. And when we refuse to confess because we don't believe that God's going to accept our confession, is we refuse the grace that God is willing to pour out on your life in a way that you've never seen before. But the problem is, a lot of times when it comes to confession, instead of confessing, we blame. Instead of confessing, we make excuses. Instead of confessing, we complain. And I'm here to tell you, folks, you just need to confess it. Proverbs says it this way. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy and so today I introduce you to two concepts of sanctification one is initial sanctification the sinner's confession and the second was the process of sanctification and that involves the confession of sin but I I didn't quite get there and the second part of that is the confession of God's goodness you see, what happens is once you've made the sinner's confession and, and you probably find yourself having to confess about sin a lot of times over and over again. You start the year and say, I'm never going to do this sin and by January 2nd, you've done it. And so you confess. By January 7th, you've done it again and you confess again. Before January's over, you've got a, a month's worth of this sin built up and a month's worth of confessing built up. And if you're not Falling through on that step of confessing your sin, what you start to do is live a life of dead works. Where on the outside you make everyone think you look like a good Christian. You're doing the things that Christians do, but yet you have a secret life. You have a lifestyle that's on the spectrum that the Bible tells us that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then as you learn to confess as you learn to draw close to God, and as you learn to fall on your face and accept the grace that God has offered to you, here's what happens. You learn to stop confessing sin and you learn to start confessing to God's goodness. You learn to find scripture and start proclaiming it. You learn to be able to say that I walk in total victory. Why? Because Jesus has destroyed pornography. Jesus has destroyed the adultery. Jesus has destroyed the lying tongue. Jesus has destroyed whatever sin you can come up with. Whatever sin was on that list that's in your life, Jesus has destroyed that and once you accept the grace and once you move on beyond that, you can claim that in victory. And you can say that I am an overcomer through Christ. Then you start proclaiming things like greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Or you proclaim that I have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, not a spirit of fear. Or you start proclaiming that God shall supply All my needs. Or maybe you dig into Psalm 91 and you say, That there's no weapon that the enemy has formed that will stand against me. It shall not prosper. Nothing shall hurt me. Or maybe turn over to Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Let me read this to you. This, if nothing else, should be a a verse that you take with you all year long in 2020. It says, This, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Ladies and gentlemen. Is 2020 going to be a year of the Lord's favor on Temple Baptist Church? The the answer to that question isn't. Can God do it? God can do it. The question is. Are we as a church going to embrace this core competency of learning to confess. Many of you today are here and you have to ask yourself, what confession do I need to make? Some of you may be here and you've never made the sinner's confession. You've never recognized that you are a sinner and that you are based on scripture. The way you pay for that sin is death never acknowledge that Jesus Christ paid for those sins and that Jesus Christ raised him from the dead I would encourage you today while the invitation begins in a few moments to come forward and make that sinner's confession don't let pride don't let years of people thinking. I'm telling you that when you do this the, the load that comes off of you will be so much worth it I think about that young 11 year old who for a year and a half hid the fact from his father. And after I told the truth, he didn't beat me. He loved on me. He felt bad that for 18 months his son didn't have a bike. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize that there's sin in your life. You're living a lifestyle that isn't pleasing to God. And you recognize that. The Bible tells us to confess that. Matter of fact, James tells us to confess it to one another.
0: As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.